Welcome to the Watch and Wine Podcast, a show about cinema brought to you by Mercy, Maria, and Rowan. You can find us on Discord for in-depth film discussion and live podcast sessions, or the Instagram account for more film content. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Rowan, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Rosace, and you can find me on Twitter at Rowan underscore Ros. I'm joined by my co-hosts Maria and Mercy. Hey, I'm Maria. You can find me on Letterboxd as Maria R-O-M. And I'm Mercy. You can find me on Letterboxd at literally underscore Mercy. Uh, today we're joined by a guest, one of the moderators from the Watch and Wine server, Lauren. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd at uh, LoloZap. So we're going to start with a random questions today. Some of the questions that have been submitted by people in the Watch and Wine Discord server. Uh, Maria, do you want to do a little bit of an introduction on what the Watch and Wine server is? Uh, well, the server is mainly focused on foreign art house and horror movies. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, this could be your place you know, hang out. Yeah, cool. Uh, we also have another couple of branches of social media. We have an Instagram that is going to start that I think uh, Mercy is running. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, so our Instagram is going to be a little bit of a promotional space specifically for our film monthly topics. So we'll do some streams here in the server and we have a monthly theme. We all get together and have some discussions. And then also we do a weekly roulette so you can get paired up with someone in the server and get recommended a film that you might otherwise not be exposed to. So we have some fun, engaging activities and the Instagram is going to feature those so you can find out how to get more involved. Uh, great. So we're also going to have a, a Twitter for the server and, you know, just the Watch and Wine name in general coming up soon. So once that's going, we'll promote that and tell you how to find that. Uh, until then, we'll get straight into the questions. Okay, so our first question is from the user Pretty 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 Good in the Watch and Wine Discord server. And they ask, what are some of our most memorable theatre experiences? And uh, I actually have an answer for this if anyone else... Uh, unless anyone else wants to go ahead. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I, I live in Australia, as you can probably tell by my accent, and in Australia we don't really have packed theatres. Like, I, I gather you do in America. We don't have any kind of sessions with more than 10 people, just on average. We usually have 5 to 10 people in a theatre, at least in my area, you know, so we don't get that kind of atmosphere like clapping and cheering we don't get any of that annoying stuff even though i don't know that sounds pretty cool to me but i guess it would get annoying after a while so uh <laughs> yeah basically every time i go to the theater i'm sitting around like five other people so there's no vibe even though the theaters are massive so it's usually it's completely empty so the only exceptions to that is big kind of event movies like big blockbusters that are really hyped and i got the chance to go to see Avengers Endgame in IMAX when I was kind of into that kind of thing and even though it wasn't kind of like the greatest movie the hype was sort of there and it was the the only movie that I, I remember going to where I was in a, a packed theater there were hundreds it was like a fucking sporting event everyone was cheering and whooping and it was just a really great yeah. atmosphere and the, yeah the, there's moments where everyone was clapping that you, you'd never even it was annoying like granted but you never get that atmosphere anywhere else in Australia uh, from from what I find, so uh, yeah, that that was pretty enjoyable for me personally. Yeah, the the last couple of Marvel movies that I've seen with like lots of people have been fun. Um, the end of Endgame, the like 
11 year old girls sitting in front of me and my friends like we're like getting up and of course my friend emma's like crying because she cries at every movie but the kids were like the the bad guy's not supposed to win what like it was just so it, it was just really funny do you mean infinity um, uh yeah that one <laughs> the one the one before endgame but yeah that was yeah, that... that was that was fun yeah, now that you mention that, I think I went to that one too. I think that one was a bit busier than than usual. Anyway, I don't want to annoy Maria by talking about Marvel more than we have to. Uh... I was going to say, Marvel is usually a very banned topic in our server, so... <laughs> Not because I think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's just because we want to kind of keep the focus on more specific genres like horror and you know foreign movies and stuff, so does anyone else have an answer for the for the question i um back when i had a lot more free time and i was significantly younger i had a friend um in high school and we waited about 13 hours in line to see the hunger games catching fire and so we got in line it was like seven something in the morning and then our showing was at night and it was at the time when you know theaters were doing like the crazy long lines like out the door in the sun and you would just sit there all day in the hopes that you could get into the theater and get the best seat so it was worth it but it was very time consuming um and i wouldn't ever do it again i, I can't even imagine a line going yeah. outside the door <laughs> like i that that happened one time actually the, the the only time i've ever seen that happen is the force awakens in like 2015 but that's the only time i've ever seen yeah. the line be longer than like five people yeah, the Star Wars. Isn't that the films, Star Wars? Think, have, oh, yeah. yeah, they've brought them out, people in large quantities. Well, it wasn't it just. Was such... Sorry, go. I was gonna say it was a really weird vibe uh, at the theater that I saw The Force Awakens because there were so many people in line, like in the building, and it was this weird, like multiplex downtown with like, it was right on the corner, but it was like four stories high, so they had a bunch of screens. Um, you know all showing the same movie and it was just a weird vibe of people coming out and like i mean i, I like spoiler alert but han solo dies and they're, they're, like everyone was really quiet and it felt like i don't know there was just this weird vibe where it seemed like someone was going to yell out a spoiler or, um like a very morbid sort of yeah i don't know i star wars Somewhere. fans are kind of the worst um like fan base maybe i feel like that's not every not fan base is controversial bad. but yeah uh, maria do you have any experiences you want to talk about yeah uh i don't know i'm i'm not very yet a theater person i mean not in a commercial way like i uh uh i do uh used to go to the theaters uh, frequently but um I don't know. I I get overwhelmed by crowds easily, so I try to go on days that I know that nobody's gonna be there because here going to the cinema is kind of a, a, a sort of a big thing. So every weekend the lines for any movie for any movie are like I don't know meters and meters and meters of line to get wow. to the movie. So yeah, <laughs> I I don't like it. Is that so, because yeah, of I, like cost of the ticket price or what makes it such a big event 
no, I think it's because my city, uh, I mean, my city is pretty artsy, but also it's very boring. So I guess the only thing to do here besides going to the bars or the clubs it, is uh -huh. going to the cinema. So uh, we have a wide variety of uh, movies, but uh, <laughs> we have 7 million people here. So <laughs> it, it gets very crowded very yeah. easily. That's so cool. It's cool how we can kind of... No. <laughs> well, it's cool that we can kind of contrast our, our different experiences. Like, for someone who, be, like, rarely sees that. that. That sounds pretty cool to me. Like, not the lines part, but just the... I don't know. It feels like there'd be a really cool energy, but it seems like you guys don't feel the same way just because you're exposed to that all the time. I, I have, We have uh, one cinema here that is uh, Guillermo del Toro, you know, this director from uh, yeah. The Chef of Water and Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, he has his own cinema theater here, which is huge and it's amazing, but that one is almost uh, always alone. And as it is placed in one of the loneliest uh, places of the city, uh, I get scared to go there because it, if it gets dark, uh, then it's, it gets like, uh, you know, uh, dangerous. So I, I don't really go there, but it is ama an amazing theater. I, I really love that theater. Kudos to Guillermo del Toro. I really love it. Is that a common, like, I wonder if it's a common thing for kind of directors to own their own theater or like theater kind of company. Hmm. Like, I don't I, know. Yeah. Because I've, I've never really heard of that sort of thing. Like just directors having their own theater. Do, like I assume it doesn't just show his movies. Like it's got a. Is it just like a normal theater? Yeah, it's normal. Well, it is mostly art, art house, and Freudian uh, cinema. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty interesting at least. Do we want to move mm -hmm. on to the second question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, boom! Another user in the Watch and Wine server asks, "What are some of the worst letterbox reviews that we've seen, and by extension, uh, which are some of the best ones that we've seen?" I kind of hate all the mainstream uh, letterbox users that are always on the main page, like Brad Pitt and Maria. Maria is calling out top letterbox users here. <laughs> no, no. I like, I like that. <laughs> um, no, I mean the, the users from letterbox. If we're calling out letterbox, I think we should call it the super generic, like whenever you go to the recent, like. Recent reviews, those are always, uh, I don't I mean, know, sometimes I like, yeah, you like, by new this is a one sentence, of... like, extremely positive review of a really dull movie, but I'm, the reviews are almost always, it. like, outliers as well, like, they're always, like, either really bad or, like, five stars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna call out, uh, my good friend Josh, because I really disagree I mean, it's his opinion. Art is very subjective. Um, so it's like, hum right now. yeah, humor and stuff. But I really don't like Josh's review of I'm thinking of ending things. You guys talked about it last week. Um, and oh, yeah. I, I will say, Roz, you did guess correctly. There is definitely like double meaning to the title. It's not just ending the relationship. It's def It's a pretty like the movie's about suicide and like depression to me, but Mm -hmm. uh i i don't know josh josh has a very strong critical voice and he used it well in his review um but he just i don't know it's not a, it's not a bad review 
Also, maybe I just disagree with it. it. It just it's just it's just funny to me how like differently our perspectives of the movie and like opinions contrast. He says like uh, he ends it with doesn't help that seventy percent of this takes place inside of a car, which I liked, and I would say it's probably closer to like fifty percent in the movie, but. Um, I don't know. I liked the book a lot. I think it works better as a book, and I thought it was a really cool story. Um, but I'm also a big um, uh, Charlie Kaufman fanboy, so I I, I kind of went into it already vibing with like the tone and his previous movies. So I I can respect Josh uh, for just kind of dunking on a movie. Josh's but... reviews are kind of like some of the he's one of my my go-tos to compare my my reviews against his because he usually has his he he, he reviews like everything uh yeah. also interesting to note his he always uses like three three out of five stars for fucking everything like well his his, his next most popular <laughs> review is a one star of the godfather which is also a pretty spicy take but a lot of people don't like that movie so i don't I, way to call out one of our like random like users and just make a whole segment oh, about them. He's meant to be my answer to the question. Lauren, are there any um super noticeable distinctions between the book and the film? Because I I struggled with I'm thinking of any things, and I actually am okay with Kaufman. Um, I really love Eternal Sunshine. It's one of my favorite films. But what I don't know what stands out in the differences between the book and the film. Um. Well, it's still a pretty like dense literary movie. Like Josh makes a good point. It there's just like a lot of stuff thrown at you and thrown at the audience. And like, there's a part where she just goes on this monologue, quoting this like film est like film critic. But it, it's much more explicit in the book, I would say. And I, I it, it's much spookier and a little more suspenseful. It's a very short book. And you can read it in like two sittings, I'd say. But, okay. um, yeah, I I really like the vibe of that movie, but um, it's okay to not like it. Does anyone else have a anyone I, else have an answer to the to the question? Uh, I can go if no one else does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I've got kind of an answer for both of the questions. So I'll start with the the second one. What, what what's the the best reviews we've seen i i, I personally like the the little anecdotes of people say like experiences while watching movies like you see that pretty frequently like uh, you know i was watching this movie with my family and th this happened like you know this i i don't know i just like letterboxd for all the like the stories people tell and uh one such which i think is going around actually like kind of on meme pages and stuff is one on cruella which kind of talks about how someone was tasered and stuff. It was from the user, let me find it, Seagull or Seigel? Uh, He's a top yeah. reviewer on there. He writes a lot of good content. Yeah, I can't read out the whole review, but it, uh, it talks about a story of two people who kind of get up in the middle of the showing and it ends with one of them getting tasered and the police showing up and all kinds of hilarious bullshit. And... uh yeah, I I, thought, I just like those stories that, I don't know, I, f I find all the time on Letterboxd, just kind of poking around near the top. 
yeah. those ones that are kind of you know can take up half of a mobile screen but aren't too hard to digest uh for the second yeah. half of the question sorry do you want to go no 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 I'm good. Uh, for the second half of the question i want to take another jab at i i apologize maria i want to talk about marvel again i fucking hate marvel reviews because they're always so positive like i i don't really have a problem with marvel just because in personal experience like you know my personal experience has been pretty positive with it but i hate the I'm, I'm looking at some of the movies right now guardians of the galaxy the top like five reviews have like two five star ratings in them it, it's a good movie but it's not it's no fucking five stars you find people freaking out over this shit and, and, and like fast and furious movies and stuff people that just just because they just because it connects to the rest of the series doesn't make it a fucking masterpiece like you know a lot of that, though, is fandom loyalty, and I'm also not a fan of Marvel movies specifically for how they write women and just how they character arc women, but that's a whole nother. We're not going to talk about Marvel because, yes, we're not a Marvel, pro-Marvel server, but I, I do understand and I respect a lot of the Marvel hype, I think, comes around the continuity between film to film, which if you're passionate about the characters, and especially if you're an original fan of the comics, I can I can understand why you'd be excited by that. Uh, another like another specific branch of this I hate is on the movies that aren't released yet and people that are like you said part of that fandom will seek out these upcoming releases which Letterboxd puts on their site like well in advance like morons yeah <laughs> I mean I kind of get it to a certain extent but like they're putting on Avatar 25 which won't be released until the world has been destroyed by fucking global warming so you know like and people have already got five star reviews up there like this is gonna be i i just know it i just know this is gonna be the best movie i've ever seen like it's really weird up. when people do that with especially mainstream films yeah where their single comment will be this hasn't come out yet but i already know it's gonna be incredible which is goes against i think everything that watching a film is supposed to be as an experience is going through it with a yeah. critical eye can i can i add a a contrasting positive or like like good yeah, review sure. like one yeah, of my yes, we, we, we've talked about it before kind of recently actually but it's for my neighbor totoro um which is like like the opposite of marvel if you ask me in terms of like just oh. sincerity and uh, the the review is kind of repetitive, but uh, they the user David Jenkins wrote no plot, no central character, no antagonist, no defined purpose for side characters, no threat, no three acts, no jokes, no punchlines, no explanations, no internal references, no catchphrases, no political polemical voice, no melodrama, no lessons, no beginning, no end. One of the best films ever made, and like I I just agree. I mean they kind of repeat some things but i don't know it's i think it's, i think it's a really solid movie and i've liked it ever since i was little so i'm kind of biased but um i think it holds up really well i love my neighbor totoro it's my favorite ghibli film for sure it's oh it's incredibly wholesome and it always reminds me that sometimes films don't have to be dark and discouraging <laughs> because i think mm -hmm. i watch too much depressing cinema so I'm just reading that. I watched now. it. Is it good? Oh, Sorry, it's so yeah. cute. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty classic like studio ghibli Yeah, miyazaki I've heard. um it, it was billed um with grave of the fireflies Yeah. like as a double feature right before it um which is a really interesting contrast of like miyazaki's like style and even like narratives but Yeah, Grave of the Fireflies kind of wrecked me, even though it's very predictable. I think I got wrecked that for for Roulette. That might have been even you, Mercy, that recommended that to me. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think I gave that four stars. Yeah, I, I, re I really like... You know, I, I actually don't like doing that. I don't like kind of... Uh, diluting my thoughts on a movie down to, to, to a star rating when I'm talking about it, but I don't know
see what happens. We might rank them or something. We're, we're just going to see how it's received, see how everyone likes it, maybe take suggestions on what we can change. Just just purely a test run for this first episode. So, uh, yeah, we can, uh, <laughs> we can start by talking about Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho, won Best Picture in 2019, I think. Was it 2019 or 2020? 2019. Yeah, yeah. 2019. Trying to think, because they say the Oscars differently, because it, it was a 2019 movie, but it won the 2020 Best Picture. Am, am I correct? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so uh, what, what does everyone think about Parasite? Uh, you've, have you guys all seen Parasite? Yeah. I think we've all seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyone want to start off? Great. No uh, one wants yeah. <laughs> what, what should I say? <laughs> okay, uh, so, someone, someone call it. Um. Well, so, I'll what, speak. What to, should we say? Uh, well, I was yeah. going to say I'll speak to as far as um one of my personal favorite things is the fusion of genre. Um, you have comedy and you have horror and you have thriller and you have a little bit of a taste of everything, which I think is one of the parts that makes it so appealing is because even if you're someone who's not familiar with Wong's work, you can dive a little bit deeper into how he stylizes characters differently within different genres. Um, I like even have a little bit of a musical touch, right, where the sister is singing the song before she rings the doorbell. So there's little eloquent touches there that make this kind of a fusion of all sorts of different genres. For as abstract, no, you know, as... sorry, Kara. Oh yeah, no, I was going to say that, uh, I don't know if it happened to you, but uh, for me, experiencing Parasite was something really unique because I'm not used to this um, Asian humor. So, while I discovered uh, when I discovered Parasite, it was super cool to uh, I don't know. It was a, a a unique experience to see that it was kind of a dark humor, but in an Asian way. And I'm saying an Asian way because after I saw Parasite, I started to to get into Asian cinema so much, like Japanese movies, Chinese movies, and Korean movies, and they all have this in common like this sort of satirical uh humor that only asian movies have and it's very interesting because as you can see american movies that they all have this uh humor that is uh racist or based on stereotypes uh these asian people have their movies the same way but with their own culture so it's very cool to see that and to get to understand it more as you watch more uh, Asian movies. So you so you get, um, you, you start understanding more and more how these people think and how something is funny and why is it funny. Even if we as a foreigners to Asian culture is, uh, are uh, far from un uh, understanding this in a cultural way, uh, I, I think it's something interesting that I, that I discovered, and I think it's very powerful, and I love it. I really like kind of how accessible it is, despite how abstract it is, and it being a, a foreign movie, like you said. Like, I, I've shown this to a lot of my family members that have no connection to film whatsoever, and they strictly watch kind of English movies. It, it, I've kind of introduced them to sort of foreign movies and 
using subtitles with this movie just because it's so just so watchable and not easy to not easy to understand but you know what i mean like uh, yeah it's not it's easy in the sense that you can you can follow. watch it and <laughs> yeah you can follow it even though underneath the surface there's a lot more that you can kind of uh what what what's the word you can kind of get a lot more from it if you're paying attention yeah, yeah pay attention but, to the symbols sorry go bong joon ho is is just a really competent director um and i think you can tell by how this movie flows and um it in, in terms of like suspense the story just keeps on building on top of itself um i really love the camera work and how much is how much time is just spent in a single location how much importance is placed on just like humans and their labor and their like the space they literally take up um there's a really like it's honestly not that suspenseful compared to some other scenes but i like the scene when um the family is hiding underneath the table while the couple is like watching their kid out the window and they start having sex and it's really like awkward and funny while also being like yeah this life or death situation is how it feels yeah it um yeah all that's on the line is really actually no that that, that's not true i'm I'm remembering it incorrectly i was gonna say all that's really on the line is kind of like awkwardness but that's not true if they get caught they like that's it they they have no ladder this is their one chance like if if they blow it destined to kind of be stuck in the like the slums for the rest of their life Mm-hmm. And it's just kind you know, of one... it's just a kind of classic. Yeah, yeah. Like end of the second act, they lose everything, and it it feels like a a really uh, just well thought out story every step of the way. Sorry, Marie. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I was going to say that uh, one of the directors that I can compare Bonjo who uh, with is uh, this director called Park Chang-wook that he made Handmaiden and Sympathy yes. for Lady Vengeance and Old Boy. Like, if you take a look at these movies, they are almost in the same mood and uh, intellect or direction as Parasite. And it's very interesting because, as I was saying, like, Parasite is just one movie that, uh, I mean, I'm not going to um, uh, throw shit to it, but uh, comparing this movie to The Handmaider or Sympathy for Lady Vengeance is is in the same level. So I just think that Parasite was lucky to get an Oscar to get all the recognition because this guy, Park Chang-wook, was trying really hard with these movies and are in the same level. And it it is the same, like, you you get the same plot, the same satirical, the same uh, twist, the same thrillering moods and hilarious scenes that are awkward at the same time so i mean i'm so glad parasite was the movie that actually opened the eyes to all the occidental culture but uh, i i think that getting giving a look to park chan's book is also worth it if you're looking to get into more cinema like parasite because parasite is not one of a kind it is just one of the kind that already exists but many people are not looking into it 
Yeah, and, and I think the Oscars, even though they're kind of switching it up, they, they kind of switched it up this year by giving Nomadland the win, which is arguably oh, not yeah. very watchable for, you know. Huh. Uh, yeah. I yeah. completely disagree. I love Nomadland. <laughs> I will die on that hill. Oh, um... it's good, but it's not, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not accessible is what I mean to... Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I, I wouldn't show my family Nomadland and expect them to get any kind of enjoyment out of it. But I can, I could show them Parasite, or I could show them Green Book, or I could show them Shape of Water. Like, despite what the Oscars want to kind of show us, it it, it definitely seems to me like more of a, a popularity contest. But like, what yeah, you know, what I was gonna say is I'm glad it's kind of switching it up. From like from what I've seen, especially with not giving uh, trial any, any awards. And it was, I yeah. mean, a significant accomplishment too for Parasite to win as a foreign film because we've seen historically that the Oscars don't favor foreign films for <laughs> anything at the yeah. mainstream yeah. awards, so which is very and, unfortunate. Uh, and Chloe Zhao won uh, best director, so she did. Yes, just uh, yeah, some despite the Oscars getting kind of gradually worse production wise, I don't know. There's definitely good things happening, so I'm gonna keep watching. I also yeah, like yeah. one of my other favorite features of Parasite is, um, and I don't, I don't know about about Bong's work to know if he does this in other films, but I love his use of metaphor. Like I think um, water and the stairs, um, maybe like the radish smell. Um, there's some more obvious things in there that he does, right, to point to class and classism and how that works for the contrast of the two families but he also uses a knife and a rock and the pair of panties and the cars and other really small ways of kind of drawing out that juxtaposition as well yeah the, the smell thing you mentioned is pretty powerful because like yeah it's just kind of the, it's the sort of thing that, that they can do nothing about like even no matter how much they do to kind of transform themselves that 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 smell kind of that the dad keeps mentioning is kind of a reminder how they're still sort of the Paris, even though you could make a case that any one of them, any one of the characters you you could say is the parasite, the titular parasite in this story. I think that the smell that keeps the dad keeps reminding them of the smell. It kind of reminds them that they're the parasite, that no matter how much they pretend he can smell the, the pore on them, you know? Yeah. Oh, also, how often does like some like something sensory like that in a movie? I mean, smell specifically play that much into the plot. Like, obviously, it's light and sound, but smell shows up in books sometimes to you know give you an idea. But how often does like the distinct smell of people and the smell of spaces and yeah. that sort of thing like play that deeply into the other themes of a movie? I, yeah, it's almost always used cheaply to kind of set the scene, like, oh, it just stinks in here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go messy. Oh, I was going to say, it reminds me, too, of um, the scene in Ratatouille, actually, where Remy takes a bite of the cheese and the strawberry together, and you have, like, the musical overload of the senses that That's he's experiencing in example. that moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorite scenes and ratatouille that's a that's a whole nother pixar is a whole nother thing but no i, I agree ratatouille with that belongs that, on the top 250 but... i totally oh agree i <laughs> ratatouille is my favorite pixar film and mm -hmm. we, we should do a whole discussion on that because we could talk about art in class with that as well 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, how to compare Ratatouille and Parasite? I mean, should <laughs> <laughs> we move on I mean, to the, the next film? And... I mean, we can joke about it, but it's not entirely wrong. I mean, you're right. They've, they've got kind of similar themes. Anyway, so do we want to move on to the second movie, which is Come and See? Sure. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty sure Lauren and Mercy, you haven't seen Come and See. I'm not going to yeah. pretend like I'm some film connoisseur that's seen all of these art house films, but I, I have seen Come and See. Uh, I, I, can't, I really only watched it out of morbid curiosity. Yeah, so I'm not going to play it off as if I would actively seek something out for the art value of it. Uh, yeah, I, I watched this like a year ago when I was just sort of getting into film, and I, you know, I kind of watched it just because... So as a result of that, I don't think it really hit me as hard as it, it would have if I was, you know, taking it seriously, uh, for lack of a better word. The anti-war message, it hits pretty hard, but not as much as something like Johnny Got His Gun or whatever that's called. Like, something where I would be watching it more for the message than, like I said, out of morbid curiosity. So, as yeah, as a result, the things that got me was more of the imagery. So, like, the, the bodies behind the the village which uh, maria you've seen it right uh, do you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah and yeah, like the yeah, church scene just sort of the visual things was the most striking for me like the bleakness of everything uh the the main character his transformation throughout the movie at the beginning he's very clearly just a young very clearly just a young kid and at the end He's full of ring. He's he's traumatized. His life has been permanently fucking scarred, as it would be. And uh, the 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 actor himself, the the kid, th those wrinkles. I I could be wrong. I think some of them were prosthetic, but he actually his hair went all gray and he started getting wrinkles just from the trauma of everything. Like they went full, they went all in on this movie. The cow they shot was a real cow. And they used real machine gun oh, yeah. bullets. I think that would fucking traumatize anyone. I would never... Yeah, I would never walk on a movie set again after that. What, what do you think of this movie, Maria? Uh, well, yeah, I thought it was very cruel and um, very powerful and heavy in content. Um, I don't tend to get impressed easily. And this movie definitely impressed me. It was, it, I mean, I didn't, I kind of watch it because of the shock value, because I thought it was going to be, you know, uh, boorish and stuff like that, which I like. But, uh, I mean, any, apart from being like that, it was more of a psychological journey that, I mean, if you're, well, in, in my case, I, really felt empathy for these persons that were in front of my screen. Uh, it just transported me to that time, you know, like how would it be to be in that situation? And, you know, I, I just, I was watching it with pain in my chest. <laughs> like, oh my God, this cannot be real. Like, it was not only uh, sad and depressing, but it was more like, infuriating and actually made me mad like how can people act this way and how can they 
behave this way and all of the stuff that was happening and especially to all the women that were uh, suffering heavy stuff and there's some couple scenes i mean if you are sensitive don't watch this movie <laughs> because there are some scenes that are definitely painful to watch because they not only did stuff to women and men but also to kids like children and it, it is like you can see what they're doing and it's just painful and infuriating to to watch and to get that through but i mean I didn't like it as a movie that I say, oh, I like it. But I thought it was a really good job and a, an incredible effort to make uh, anti-war propaganda so people can see and feel and react to the war horrors that these people experienced. So I'm, I'm very glad that this movie exists because otherwise... I don't think I've seen a movie, a war movie that has portrayed war in the way that this movie uh, shows it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good summary of it. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have anything else to add. So do we want to just kind of move on to the, to the Godfather after that? Yes. All right, uh, so who here has seen The Godfather? I've Not seen me. it. Yeah, I've time. seen. Okay, so everyone but uh, Mercy? Sorry. Am I even a true film fan if I haven't seen The Godfather? By definition. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. You can't you can't be a film bro and not see The Godfather though. It's definitely like quintessential film bro movie. Yeah. But I want to be a film woman. As so long as I you've seen uh, have you seen Pulp Fiction and uh I've not. I recently <laughs> I created a list. On, I know. No, I created a list on Letterbox recently. That's like literally famous films that every film fan has seen, and I have not because I just have never made time for them. And it's like, yeah, Titanic, The Matrix, Pulp Fiction, uh, Goodfellas. Like, there's a lot of random stuff on there. So yeah, I, I had a list like that. I, I'm proud to say that I got through that list eventually. That uh that. 40 list i made a list that was like I, I should watch one movie every day for the next 40 days of the year because it was like it was like <laughs> near the end of uh november so it was one movie that i should have seen already every day and i got through it eventually even though i, I quit halfway through like i quit the challenge but i watched all the movies yeah that was a cool challenge i remember talking to you about that yeah Sounds hard. But was the godfather on there I'd already seen The Godfather. The Godfather 2 was okay. on there. Well, The Godfather kind of hit at a pretty important time in, like, the history of movies, from what I've heard. Um, the, like, very gritty uh, kind of 70s movies um, were sort of countercultural, but movies, you know, were showing some really bloody stuff showing some mobs, showing some some godfathers getting shot. Um, and Francis Ford Coppola made this now, like, kind of really famous movie. Got a really great actor, Marlon Brando, to um, kind of return, I guess, to movies. Um, it was one of the first kind of movies really... that I've seen that's kind of... It, it kind of looks like a modern movie. Like, the cinematography... Mm -hmm 
is very is very drastically different from other movies you'll see from that era i find uh, and the lighting is more i want to say ominous but do you guys know what i mean it, it just feels more cinematic it's very much the quintessential cinema movie yeah yeah it's cinematic i i agree yeah people much more eloquent than us have like obviously written books on it but they're there's a really strong vibe to I, I I've only seen the first two, but all the Godfather movies like um feel very grounded. Um the time you spend with like Michael Corleone, um, just over the first one, kind of um, you know, starting the movie as a completely different person than the one he ends up uh as, it, it is like pretty compelling, I think. Um it really confused me the first time I saw it just because it's one of those movies where like there's lots of named characters that are like dying off screen or um you know doing the mob's dirty work but um yeah, the main like this is definitely one for the wiki to have while you're mm -hmm. watching it yeah we watched in my like high school film club and we paused it halfway through and like drew a little like word map of characters it. and and I mean we were like eating pizza and stuff too but it, it was it was helpful. Um, I think that was like the second time I saw it, but I, I honestly haven't seen them for a while, but they're kind of hard movies to avoid. Um, just in the cultural, like mind, I guess the most they're, recent, like, referenced a lot. Yeah. The, the most recent time I watched it, I watched it with someone on discord and every kind of every time something happened we just kind of since we had mics on we we're just kind of going over it like okay that person was the person who uh i don't know that, that was the person who punched michael in that last scene or whatever like just so we kind of had an idea in our head of who we were kind of watching mm -hmm. just because i'm, I'm Maria... an idiot when it comes to keeping track of characters and like names and stuff and like you said like mm -hmm. just a lot of name characters being thrown around yeah maria how do you feel about the godfather the first one i liked it uh, i actually watched it like uh, two years ago not long ago mm. so uh actually we just watched it because i feel pressure that i have seen many movies but not that one so i watched uh, godfather one godfather two and once upon a time in america the same week and I am not disappointed. I actually liked it. It was uh, very enjoyable, uh, very uh, a very easy film, like to follow and you know to enjoy uh, in a Sunday evening. Yeah. It's very daunting, <laughs> but at least it's pretty. Dis disregarding all of the the named characters, it's pretty. Mm. It's j like you yeah. said, it's pretty easy to follow. To be honest. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, if someone of, isn't, sorry, well, I was just gonna say, if someone isn't like talking and like, there, if there's not exposition, it's like a silent shot of a character, and you're like supposed to be thinking about what they're thinking about. It's very like, it's not handholding in the way they kind of just take you from scene to scene, but it has a really great momentum and like, I I think most like, I mean, I, I saw it as a teenager. If you're like like 13 and pay really close attention like i feel like you could follow this movie um it's pretty gripping yeah uh yeah. I, I actually do have an issue with this movie uh and 
it's actually something that contrasts what you said earlier, Lauren, which is that the <clears throat> Michael Colleone arc was like satisfying. I I really disagree. I think it's way too abrupt. Uh, I had an example on top of my head that it, that it reminds me of. I, I need to think of it. It's uh, they kind of swap from good to oh uh, yeah, uh, Walter White. I don't like his arc either. It seems he t- he turns from kind of. He spends the first half of the movie being this character that we that we know, right? And he's the same character for the first half. Then he does he has this one thing that happens to him that gains the respect of other people, and then uh, now he's this respected mob boss with a a will of iron or whatever, you know. Uh, same thing that happens in in Breaking Bad. I, I don't want to spoil Breaking Bad, but I think it, I think it's pretty well known what happens. Uh, Walter White starts as this mild mannered teacher guy and he eventually ends up a like a drug lord but 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 that gap between the time of the significant event that happens at the end of season four and the beginning of season five is just very abrupt to me and that's the same kind of vibe i get from the godfather is when he comes back from italy and he kind of goes up to his old girlfriend i think her name is like Kay or something Yeah, he he has a totally different energy to what he had the the rest of the movie, which was very jarring to me. I I personally didn't like that. It kind of lost me a bit. Was, my my suspension of disbelief, I guess, was just kind of a little interesting. Yeah, uh, I that that's a very unpopular opinion though. So I'm open to change my mind on that in the future after a few more rewatches. I've seen it about three times, I think. So next we're going to talk about a Netflix special that was released just a few weeks ago by Mr. Bo Burnham himself. Um, Bo Burnham is a musical comedian and a lot of people know him from where he originally started on YouTube. He was known a little bit on Vine as well. And he's had three stand-up performances, which I believe only two of them were made into actual um, like recorded productions. Um, So he has words, 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 and what make happy. Some people also know him from his direction of eighth grade. And then most recently he co-starred in Promising Young Woman. Um, But Inside is a project that he undertook where he filmed himself. Um, He's done all of the editing, the production, direction, writing, producing, all of the above um, for this special that focuses solely on him in the context of his own home and kind of what it means to have life in a pandemic, uh, which is what we've been experiencing globally for the last now, gosh, year and a couple of months, whatever it's been. So we're going to do a little bit of a discussion on this. We brought it up last week, and now everyone on the show today has had a chance to see it. And yeah. Uh, I think it's important to note you briefly touched on it this is very focused on him being trapped in his own room like that that's the main kind of separator from this and other musical comedy specials it's what makes it unique it's it's all in the same room or like the whole special and not just in a stand-up kind of way where you, you know you stand up and you do a comedy special but like it's a whole production like it's a whole movie but just sets in one room all this all the sets yeah what, it's, what's interesting um, it's also, about it? 
Sorry, Gary. It's also important in context, uh, which is something he, he talks about in one of the last pieces, All Eyes on Me, but uh, Mr. Burnham, I need to stop calling him that. We'll just call him Bo. But he took a break from comedy for, I believe it's five years because um, he started having panic attacks during the end of his Make Happy tour. And so this to emerge five years later with an entirely solo project of this magnitude is really, really impressive just for anyone who's been following his career and know that he basically went off the map um, with the exception of, like I mentioned, he was doing some cinema work. But as far as like actual comedy and sketches, um, nothing like that. So uh, so just before we get into it, I just want to issue a, a quick spoiler warning for, any, for for anyone who hasn't yet had the chance to see this special. It's on Netflix. I mean, you can go watch it. It's pretty short and really digestible. So if you have an afternoon, put it on. It's really good. I think everyone in this room at least recommends it. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Spoiler warning, we'll be talking about it in depth. Uh, I was going to just say... Um having been like a longtime fan um i was like a teenager when my friend showed me his youtube videos and he actually had a, another like hiatus um like in his early 20s where he just wasn't you know didn't post anything um that was like his main out out you know window out to the world for a while it was this like solitary youtube channel but back when youtube was like just a single person you know making the videos it, it, it was it's him playing piano um and writing songs but uh i mean that, that was the youtube video and it's just kind of cool to see this um you know he did the kind of reclusive thing again for a bit not to like over romanticize the actual like pain that people with like anxiety and depression kind of deal with but it, it's a really you know bizarre time to be a performer and um this special really gets into like how we live on the internet and um, experience the world through that kind of portal, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, so, uh, Mercy, last week we, we we briefly spoke about Inside, and you you kind of talked about how it, 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 how its quality, kind of technically and artistically, and kind of if you don't even if you don't like his comedic style or you know, the themes he tackles in his lyrics that you should watch it for the artistic value and, you know, how it is kind of uh, an example of a good output even confined in your own home, like someone who goes through the creative process without, like, you know, even though being limited, you, you know what I'm trying to say? I, but Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that... Bo is really cool as a comedian because he's never shied away from topics that are on the sociopolitical spectrum in terms of intensity, which, you know, a lot of people listen to comedy as a method of escapism. And so that's not everyone's style when it comes to comedy. And that's totally understandable. Um, but yeah, I'm echoing what I said last week in terms of it. It's a technical masterpiece for someone to produce something of this magnitude as a solo project um, from writing and directing alone to right. Then you have cinematography and then you have editing and to make it funny above all else and also relatable and understandable. And it really does encapsulate in a lot of ways, I think, the COVID experience that so many of us have had and maybe not been able to kind of see represented in media I'm, maria i'm kind of curious how because you're like a professional creative and like did did that kind of part of 
like Bo's experience resonate with you or is it, do you, was it really different? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know uh, how much to say about this, but uh, yeah, speaking as a creative person myself, um, it was, it was cool. I mean, I liked it. I, I like how he created that stuff and, and, you know, touching topics like depression and loneliness, um, but making them look and sound funny or artistic. It is, it is an art, you know, not, not many people can do that. But I don't know. Um, I didn't love it. Uh, I mean, I don't understand the hype over this movie because I don't think it's that special. Um, personally, I'm, I'm on TikTok, like I, I watch a lot of TikToks and I've seen at least a thousand TikToks uh, singing these type of songs or this type of content, you know, where you're just making fun of and I follow like, I don't know, 10 or 12 uh, people that I like because they are always uh, throwing out songs out of depression and anxiety and, and social awkwardness, you know? So watching this movie was like spending one hour and 30 minutes on TikTok with just with one guy that I enjoyed. I, I'm not going to say that I didn't, but he's not special to me. Like, um, yeah, okay, depression sucks and we're all depressed and whatever, but uh, that's it. I mean, I think that the thing that makes this guy relatable to everyone is that he's actually using all the more popular opinions on the internet to make songs about them. And he's just one of a thousand people that is also doing the same stuff. So uh, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's special in any way. Like it is just, for me, it's just another person who's struggling with that and is just uh, expressing in, in, in an artistic way and that's it. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to take credit for, I mean, I'm not going to discredit him for doing that because it is cool and awesome, but I just don't think that it is like the best thing that I've ever seen, you know, yeah, that's what I think. That's a pretty like interesting take on it. Like. I kind of understand, I kind of understand what you mean, because when I first watched it, uh, I gave it, like, a four stars, mainly for the artistic value of it. Like, I didn't really, didn't really connect with me in the same way it seemed to be connecting with everyone else. Uh, but I, I did enjoy it, and the songs were really catchy, and, and the lyrics were kind of, they, they were meaningful, but the first time I watched it, I didn't really, I wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics, I just kind of had it on in the background. I was enjoying the, you know, enjoying the bops. Uh, but the second time yeah, I yeah. watched it, the second time I watched it, it, it was way more kind of intimate. I had it on my my larger screen. I actually sat down. And I paid attention to it. Like you know, I had it on subtitles. I was I was reading all the lyrics as he said them. Uh, yeah, I, I I bumped it up from a four star to a to a rare five stars for me. I really <laughs> really feel connected to this. Like even though I have completely different experiences, even though I. I I don't suffer from, you know, that kind of mental health. And as an Australian, I didn't really have that same extended period of quarantine that affected so many Americans. Uh, 
but yeah, the special it really kind of resonated with me, and it's really attractive to me. And I've seen it at least three or four times. Uh, I just really love it. I can't stop going back to it, even without, you know, even disregarding the the special itself. The songs, each one of the songs, could play on the radio and get on the charts. Like, uh, I think we're going to talk about some of the songs later, yeah, more specifically. Uh, but a lot of the songs yeah. kind of replicate the the style of music that goes on the radio. The, just like it's just a wide variety of genres of video and song that that he uses. Like the the white woman's Instagram song is uh, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, I, I'm thinking okay. of the uh, well. There's that one, and also the FaceTiming with my mom song is very reminiscent of radio oh, songs. Yeah. Like just pop songs from like 2015 i don't know he's really good at writing kind of earworms and um one of my like my like first introduction to him is this um song called words 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 and the the chorus is like i like catch or i hate catchy choruses and i'm a hypocrite um <laughs> and it, it's really it's really catchy it, it really gets stuck in your head but Maria, I definitely hear that kind of like just just kind of tiredness of the irony and the sardonic kind of humor. Um, I I really like how his previous live shows kind of communicate that, but he's also still very animated and like he, he's he's just a really entertaining person on stage. Um, as someone who's you know rewatched these recordings of him on stage, I guess, but it, it's really too impressive to me um, just how you know that he keeps that like humor up while also addressing uh, you know his depression. Um, there's a really I think like, it's a special kind of I, charisma to be able to be yeah, and also takes it also takes a lot of courage just to be like. I'm going to tell this joke about suicide and then here's a disclaimer like okay really don't please don't commit suicide like and earnestly kind of making this case to the camera um what what I love that he does with that bit then is takes it like one step further back and shows himself watching himself tell himself not to commit suicide yeah. and like there's a projection of that recording as well right on his chest and he's just got to like you kind of just get the feeling that he's trying to he's trying so hard to like take his own advice yeah take his own advice but also like he kind of admits that like the special is like the only thing that like keeps him going some days it seems like and um i i really appreciated that like kind of behind the scenes look at um his thought process i guess because he he's done some like darker songs and uh political stuff before but like this special has the most like straightforward like this song is about politics like uh talks about communism talks about like exploited labor and like it's also still really funny and like i laughed my ass off at, no, at Sako. no <laughs> no i i need to stop you i need to stop you right there uh -huh. uh, before before you continue, okay. 
So I, I mean, uh, I don't want this to be rude or anything, but uh, I mean, you guys, uh, Ross, Lauren, Dancing Panda, uh, you are like white and from uh, very privileged countries. So uh, I guess that that's why you are seeing these topics like a huge thing, you know, like a very important thing, which in my country is is not that bad, you know. So um, in my experience and all my friends and all the people here in my country uh, consuming the, that type of content where when I mean, where we're always laughing about suicide or murders or you know, getting killed or getting murdered or uh, committing suicide or just being fucked up or how shit is or life. Uh, it is just a common thing, you know? So that's all the content we consuming, we're consuming all the time. So for me, watching Bullman uh, do that stuff was like, oh, another guy, just uh, this time he's American. And, you know, uh, listening to you uh, speaking on how impressive and how uh, brave he is and stuff like that it just makes me feel like uh, kind of mad because i mean may, it may be huge for you or it may have uh, importance for you as a privileged country to uh, you know be aware of mental health and stuff like that but in countries like mine that doesn't happen and that's just a normal joke that everyone laughs about you know so uh watching bowman here is just like oh yeah, this guy is, is, is funny. Just another guy who's funny about suicide and mental health. I I definitely like acknowledge that that privilege that I have of uh you know coming of age in like uh, a very wealthy country and one where mental health is like like uh I mean a, a pretty popular topic of like concern and conversation, but everyone is talking about this stuff and making songs about depression and stuff. And even uh, the editing is super cool and all. So I just think that this movie isn't that special uh, because of that matter. But uh, as I said, I don't want to discredit him for his artwork. I mean, he, he, he did that and it was uh, super cool, but at the same time, it's, he's just one more of those people. You yeah. Know? That's what I'm trying to say. That, like, yeah, yeah that's I cool, super, but super valid. <laughs> Mercy, what do you think? Is are we giving both too much too much credit? I I'm gonna be honest. I think that the commodification of mental health in general is something that he actually addresses in his work. And I would also say that um, I I don't think that Bo is trying to speak outside of anything except his lived experience. And there's something to be said for. On the one hand, we don't want him to speak to topics or experiences that are not his own, right? And so this production is inherently it's an expression of himself and what he's felt that the last year has been and i don't know that frankly that discredits or that takes away from the struggles of other countries of other nations who frankly it to this day are in a much worse situation than america currently is in terms of quarantine in terms of uh, vaccine distribution and availability all of those factors so since art is usually such an intimate expression of personal experience I think that your critique is valid, but I also would say that he might exclusively be speaking out of what he knows for himself from what he has experienced. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. I agree with that. I mean, he he takes pretty. Well, what it seems like to my dweeby brain. Uh, oh 
crap, I just dropped my... <laughs> just dropped my phone. Uh, uh, it seems like he takes pretty calculated jabs at, like, modern society and, like, capitalism in general. Like, he, he might not have the the kind of experiences of the the working class that you guys might have uh but like mercy said i feel like he from the experiences he has i think it's a pretty honest reflection like it's a pretty intimate portrait of his experience in quarantine like yeah uh Uh, can i bring can i bring up another film just for comparison um there's a really brilliant documentary uh that jafar panahi made um he's an iranian he made a movie called this is not a film in um Hmm. the early 2010s but he was banned from producing film so it is kind of him it starts out as him like acting out this movie he had planned about a, a young woman who was uh you know is kept in her home by her family but he kind of like ends up breaking down and like stopping it and he's like well this is not my experience like and just kind of it really uh, it kind of becomes a testament to like filmmaking in uh you know authoritarian authoritarian state and like um i think it's really powerful and i really like it but i do think bo was doing something similar here um you know, he was catapulted to a success because of the internet, managed to, like, hang on to Netflix's coattails and, like, ride that Netflix train <laughs> to stardom. Now he's making actual, like, Hollywood movies, but, like, his, his ment- his, like, the prison that, like, the people with depression, like, their brains are, my, like, that's what my brain is like sometimes, um, is really, like, debilitating but he's still kind of kept himself to this like year long i i i mean he kind of gives himself a year and he he takes that time and produce something um just like pretty unique i think uh, in in terms of like long form cohesive I don't, like there's lots of variety yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. In the interest of time, does anyone have any like closing mm-hmm. thoughts, like before we move on to the, if we want to talk about some of the songs? Uh, n- no. I think we can probably just move on. Uh, let's not keep okay. yeah, the not... listeners waiting. I... All... I forgot that we were gonna do. This. <laughs> I love the internet song. It was so funny. Yeah. Uh, from inside and it was super catchy yeah uh it it has a really good like bridge like a like two-thirds of the way through where it talks about uh how how the plan like the whole time was to put the world in your hand like i thought that was a really good line Mm -hmm. yeah like the internet the internet is like programmed to make it feel like you're the main character and everyone wants to know you know what you're thinking and pictures of what you're doing (laughs) Yeah, uh, it, it's clearly written from the perspective of someone who's had experience with the internet. It's it's not, uh, y- it's clearly different from something like the Mitchells versus the Machines. And while it's kind of relatable, it's very, it's very noticeable that he he has experience using the internet. Like, it's not, yeah. 
also just in terms of like songwriting if, if we're going to go over kind of like what makes these songs special but mm-hmm. Bo writes really catchy like hooks um yeah. for the choruses that this one goes um apathy is a tragedy and boredom is a crime as like this kind of like motto of the internet um and it just really fits it it, it's kind of sums up the song but it also doesn't get annoying after you know he sings it four times and talking about the actual composition of the music i I really like the uh the use of what do you what do you call it the uh the, the glockenspiel in the background the uh banging on the do you guys know what I'm talking about? That that little background. It's like a piano, but it's it's wooden and it's really big. The same? Smack it with a stick. I I can't replicate the sound with my mouth without sounding like an idiot. But uh, if you listen to the background of the song, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. And I I, I can't even describe it, but it goes a long way to making it feel more playful and like more villainy. You know. Uh, Mm-hmm. I was reading some of the reactions to the song and just kind of like comment sections across social media, and uh, I think a lot of them really nail it on the on the head. The, uh, the the first half of the song, before the bridge, is very much it, it sounds very villain esque, like the, yeah, like a Disney villain. Yeah, <laughs> just the way he delivers the line and, and his costuming and the sunglasses all just contributes to that kind of vibe. Yeah, he has this really hammy persona for that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I also really sort of brought back from the unpaid intern song. It kind of had the same look. Yeah, maybe. I I was gonna say in terms of like personas, I really like early in this in the special. Um, uh, we talked about it a little bit, but what the way or the way of the world? How the oh god? That's the way of the world. <laughs> that's the way the world works is uh, that it i think it's that's how the the world works. that's how the world works yeah that is how uh, the world. yeah kind of like mr rogers uh uh oh yeah um, wait you're right that yeah jim jim henson character um singing this like seems like a kid song about yeah. and he's like describing communism like the birds and the bees with, uh, completely yeah. work together and um, everyone, you know, contributes what they can and and gets what they deserve, and um, and then there's this kind of correction of with Socko. Uh huh. Oh, that that's one of the funniest parts of the whole special. Yeah. Like, I don't. I can't and, even. And also, d- just to um, he definitely addresses that kind of like just the podium that he's speaking down from um you know he he says oh like oh well i really want to become a better person i want to you know do the right thing and sako uh you know comes back like aren't, like aren't you listening to what i'm saying like this isn't about you <laughs> yeah uh yeah I-, I need to listen to the lyrics again to kind of i i, I haven't heard it in like a in like a week actually like paying attention to it now but uh yeah, I, I agree. Some of the, the soccer dialogue is probably some of the more insightful stuff in the whole special. At least for me. That that that's sort of that was more of the that w- that was in the beginning half of the special, which was sort of more just saying socially relevant things in a funny way. Whereas the second half of it was more talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Mercy, do you have a favorite song? 
I have a lot of favorites. Um, I really like A Funny Feeling. Um, surprisingly, I really like Turning 30 because I like how he plays with generational differences. It kind of comes in oh. in different bits and pieces. Like, you That's know, he amazing. makes a joke. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, he makes a joke about, you know, kids and their phones are poisoning their minds in this new generation. And it comes back in in the internet song where he talks about, like, we, this was made for you, insatiable you. So he he plays a lot with generational differences and how he's kind of seeing full circle the way that he used to make fun of the generation older than him. He's now seeing himself become the same thing that he himself critiqued. Funnily enough, that's like that's like my least favorite. I, I made a ranking of all the songs, and besides the credit song, I think I have that at the very bottom. I just feel like the combination it's of... It's funny. What'd you say? So to wait until you turn twenty. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, I can't. I can't relate to a lot of the stuff he says, and it still resonates uh -huh. with me. But sure. at the same time, I, I, I didn't think it was funny. Like, I get that I'm not twenty. Like, you know, I'm not. I don't have that mm. same. Doesn't have the same effect on me. But mm. at the what same about time, the maybe... what about the spite? Do, do you feel spite towards peers? Maybe jumping ahead. You know the. I think the lyrics like my stupid fucking friends stupid and their stupid fucking kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It just didn't didn't hit me as much as no. the ones. The song isn't as much of an earworm as the rest of them. Just like, mm -hmm. it, yeah. It's it's the only one that I I wouldn't listen to in a playlist. Like it just the lyric the lyrics aren't insightful enough to justify it for me. Like, well, it, I, I thought the, like, the I funny feeling really song definitely really sticks out as like the guitar song, and um, mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good choice. I, I wouldn't listen to like White Woman's Instagram or like FaceTiming with my mom. Like White Woman's it, Instagram has been stuck in my head, but <laughs> I yeah, wanted out. <laughs> but but they have the lyrics to kind of justify it. Like I can at least get something from listening to that because they're funny or insightful, but turning 30 just has nothing for me. You know? I mean, I think that that's, again, speaks to a little bit of his insightful writing though, because there's different levels of relatability throughout. Um, and some of his songs, honestly, like I think welcome to the internet, probably white woman's Instagram. Like some of these are a little bit more, quote unquote accessible in terms of understanding but I think the farther along you get in the special like that funny feeling especially and then all, all eyes on me um he speaks to his own lived experience again so there's there's layers to that there I want to talk about white woman's Instagram because uh there's a moment uh about halfway through that that really kind of what's the word I don't want to say resonates with me again because I've said that like 50 times. Uh, uh, how do I introduce this? I, I want to talk about white women. Can someone uh, what really help me yeah, out? What are we saying? Help me out, guys. <laughs> I Fuck. can't read your mind. Yes, you can. Well, so white, white women, they're a large demographic <laughs> on Instagram. So um, you're white there's a very... There's a very like strong aesthetic style that's easy to make fun of, and I personally really like how much fun it looked like to like shoot these bits. He like cuts back to it later, but there was some really cool. It's a very colorful like arts and craftsy section, um, but it kind of speaks to the you know surface level nature of Instagram and you know visual social media like that. 
but what there there's definitely I I guess it is sort of the bridge um that you want to talk about Roz. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm having a mind blank kind of describing the song, but just the specific moment that happens in the middle of it is what I want to talk about. There's a there's a part where the, the, the whole song, the video of the song is kind of set in a one-to-one -one aspect ratio, which kind of matches the, the Instagram kind of squares, like all photos that are uploaded are kind of in a square. Uh, and, oh, yeah, And the video yeah. is filmed sort of like that to kind of, you know, white, the, the Instagram photos. He, he poses like stereotypical white women on posting on Instagram. Uh, sorry, I just got to It's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool how he transitions in that song because you have the yeah one one instagram uh aspect ratio and you notice that he transitions as he's kind of coming in and out of the girl supposedly writing an instagram caption to her mob that's what I was this picture say. of yeah yeah this picture of authenticity between the shifting uh, aspect ratio between what she posts and what she might be feeling yeah the aspect ratio opens up as you kind of feel the 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 girl writing is kind of being more authentic to and she's not just kind of putting on a front for instagram is kind of how i interpreted it like yeah. once the aspect ratio went back to one to one it was kind of you know back to talking about goat cheese salad and latte art and shit that doesn't it's not really it doesn't really matter to her oh i i say her as the person as the stereotypical figure Abstract. that sure. yeah, yeah. that Bo is kind of referring to you know yeah, that that there's yeah. a moment where he talks about yeah the the mom that passed away and you know it just you know hits me it, it's emotional. How do Doesn't, you guys yeah, feel yeah. about um out of curiosity some of the more I don't want to say less popular songs but kind of like uh, I you know mean the more biased ones. Well, I was gonna say I'm thinking of like sexting and some of the transition ones that I think aren't as popular in terms uh, of the content that he's actually promoting uh introducing how do you guys feel Sexting about this thing is the most oh, you know surface level yeah. one in the whole special but it's also yeah, like a I parody think... of a pretty vapid like surface level form of communication and like he's he's parodying like kind of soundcloud like music and that really chill online vibe uh, that is supposed yeah. to be sexy but like it's kind of just weird I think yeah. I think I want to 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 talk about that a little bit because I, that thing I need to applaud uh, that for him because I I'm not much into comedy and I don't tend to watch comedy comedy at all and even less comedy if they're uh, for men and when he started to sing that song about sexting I thought that he was going to go to those places where I don't know, he just make uh, stereotypes jokes about the sex scene and he actually addressed it very respectfully I was like, oh my god, this is the first time I'm, I'm hearing a man uh, refer to sexting to some, with some girl in a very respectful way because he wasn't talking I mean, he wasn't singing about sexting with women or men or anything any person in particular you know he was talking as if he was talking to he was talking one about person yeah like to one person that he already knew so 
I don't know, it felt very respectful, you know, like he was addressing that person that nobody is is going to know. So he's just like, oh, yeah, show me your boobs. And that's it, you know, like no more stereotypes or nasty jokes. It was just like respectfully uh, doing something with someone who they already know and consent to that. So I was like really impressed. and. I actually like that part a lot. I was like, "Wow, this is this is good. <laughs> this is this is good stuff." Also, the eraser face reference is fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do yeah. We talk about any of the other ones before we uh, wrap up? I, I want to talk about the uh, the comedy song because that's my favorite of the bunch. Uh, the healing the world with comedy one, the one that's at, n near the very beginning. Or. Uh, yeah, uh, not only is it obviously the most catchy of all of the songs, I, I will not be uh, debating on that because it's objectively true. It's the best. Um, <laughs> it, uh, that, it's another one that's kind of very surface level with its message. Like he's trying to, he's trying to tackle issues while, you know, it kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier, Maria, how like, he can't really talk about. I don't think. I don't think Maria. Said, I think it was Mercy that was talking about how he's only. He's only. He's only able to kind of talk about his own experiences, and that's very. That's outlined very clearly in the song. Like he's talking about. He's just a. He's just a white guy, but he wants to kind of enact change. But he. He. It's kind of difficult for him because he has to kind of dodge topics that he's not, kind of competent in. But at the same time. Do you guys yeah, know what I'm trying to say? Like he's he, he's outlining the yeah he's a white guy. He I don't know how to phrase it correctly. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He he he. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that that's probably the most plain example of it. He want he doesn't want to shut the fuck up, but also he he doesn't know exactly how to do it without being a money seeker. You know what? I, it, the message is pretty. It's pretty plain if you listen to the song exactly what he's trying to say, and I think that's it. it outline. I, can someone uh, follow up on that? I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you because I think that in these days, uh, saying something about those topics that he talk about is uh, kind of it kind of uh, can offend someone. So. Yeah, I agree. That song was like the introduction that he's a white man and he's only joking and that he should shut the fuck up and all that stuff. And it, it, it was cleverly put in the beginning of the movie, I think. Yeah, I was say, he's it's like, saying, <laughs> yeah, it he's like saying, oh, don't like... take me serious, please. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it, it keeps that ironic twist yeah. to a lot of his songs um it, it kind of felt like me to like maybe the first song and like sequence he really finished and like was maybe feeling confident about it has a very like uh very kinetic in like the camera and the cuts and there's stuff on the whiteboard like pause if you want to read it all but um i like the oh, visual yeah. joke visual joke the venn diagram on the board uh with malcolm x and weird al and yeah. then it has it has me written in the middle like this uh yeah, he has yeah. this idea of himself in his head that he has to and it also kind of like plays on the classic like 
rap songs that are about like how great you are like he has to hype up himself and um you know he he hears like the voice of god telling him like oh your your art your art your comedy is so healing and like it's gonna nurture the world so just just keep it up just keep keep doing it yeah yeah it's kind yeah, of yeah you're yeah. right it's a reassurance to himself like and and that's kind of followed up in like that same kind of idea is followed up in the problematic song where he's kind of addressing how a lot of the stuff he's done is it might be vaguely shitty but like you know like w what's he supposed to do about that i don't know i i, I don't really want to i don't really want to talk about that topic because I don't know what I'm saying, and I don't want to accidentally say something that's wrong, so... Well, I was gonna say, that's one of the things that I actually appreciate the most about Bo's sense of humor is, you know, I think that people have critiqued him for inside for saying that, like, his self-awareness has gotten to the point where it's no longer self-awareness because he's so over-exhausted it, but the sequence, for example, where he's reacting to himself and then reacting to his reaction, right, with the different screens, and he says at one point, I think it's something like, uh, self-awareness does not absolve anyone of anything, which, I mean, like you were saying, Rowan, it goes back to that, the idea of being problematic and him asking his audience very literally, like, hold me accountable and call me out on the things that you see that I'm doing that are wrong because I'm making this for you, right? Which then goes back to the beginning of, like, the content that I'm creating is for you and I am nothing, my career is nothing, I don't exist without basically you making my platform what it is so i don't know i just i think that that's a level of self-awareness that i can support because it's very rare often that we have specifically content creators who are asking their audience to give them that level of accountability yeah and oh, yeah. sorry you want to say something uh no 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 i i didn't really kind of the first time i watched it i didn't really kind of get what he was like talking about like i thought he was just doing the classic you know, I say offensive stuff, don't get offended, you know. Uh, but then I, then I watched Make Happy, and I, I think I kind of got what he was kind of saying, because he has this one part where he uses the, the F slur pretty excessively. And at that time, like, that was okay. But, like, it's it's obviously not now. Like, n not okay, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it was socially Absolutely acceptable correct. to use yeah. that word, but... Yeah, that, that, that kind of opened my eyes in terms of, like, what he was trying to say in that particular song. Like, it's like, okay, I, I kind of get I kind of get it now. Uh, I, I like that Bo, like, has, to some extent owns up to these, like, problematic, you know, jokes in the past. And there's a joke at the beginning of Make Happy, which only came out in 2015, uh, that really trivializes, like, the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, he's like, what are they fighting about? Um, yeah. And, and it's just like, well, it's pretty obvious to anyone like, actually listening and paying attention. But, you know, the common media narrative just six years ago here in the States was like, like, yeah, who, who fucking cares, basically? Uh-huh. So uh, he he's definitely had that self-awareness before, but... It's. I think it's cool. He's kind of committed to this like form of uh, just like songwriting and trying to be funny and make people laugh. And um, you know, he made a really interesting movie about like technology and that and its effect on like teenagers because um, that's kind of what he experienced. But 
Um, you don't need to make like a biopic about yourself. Um, I don't know. Yeah. No, I you see know. what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Eighth grade, unfortunately didn't age very well in my opinion. Uh, Ooh. But... <laughs> I would love to hear some more about that. That's a conversation for another day. I think. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think we can probably wrap it up there, though. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, My name is Rowan. You can find me on Letterbox at Rosés. We'll we'll probably set up a Twitter for the for the actual podcast. uh, But for now, you can follow me personally at Rowan underscore Roz. Yeah. So uh, my co-hosts are Uh, Maria. Uh, You can find me on Letterbox as Maria R O N. And I'm Mercy. You can find me on Letterbox at literally underscore Mercy. Uh, I had a lot of fun being here. Uh, I'm at Lolo's app on Letterboxd. Yeah, uh, so you can find all of us in the Watch and Wine Discord server. You can listen to these podcasts live. You can submit questions. Uh, not only that, but it's just a, a great community in general. Movie-themed, obviously, uh, with a specific focus on far, uh, foreign movies, horror, art house. If you're into that kind of thing, check us out. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see you next time. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Watch and Wine podcast. Make sure to Google our Discord server, Watch and Wine, to meet us and listen to these podcasts live. You'll also meet a ton of other like-minded users who love film just as much as you do. And as always, have a good one. Mercy, you can find me on Letterbox at literally Fuck. underscore Sorry. Mercy. I got a, I got a note. Someone pinged me. Someone pinged me. Who pinged me? I'll fucking kill you. M- oh. Ma- Maria. Oh, fuck. I, I see. I see. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I see. Maria. <laughs> I didn't know it would sound in your computer. Why Why do you have it in silence? I do now. Go ahead. Everyone shut up. All right. <laughs>